Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So just uh, we're going to be picking up here in Jonah chapter 3. So we did Jonah chapter 1 and and chapter 2 last week. And so just a recap of that, if you've never read the book of Jonah, um, chances are uh, I would. I'm. I'm willing to bet that probably everybody here has heard at least the story of Jonah or has an idea of it. Maybe you went to Sunday school as a kid and you, you remember the the flannel grass. They had flannel grass when I was in Sunday school, you know. And then they have the the little fish Jonah whale, you know, jumping in the water. And anyways, you guys know. Um, so. What's the story with Jonah? Well, you know, in Jonah chapters 1 through 2, God calls Jonah. He's one of his prophets, and he calls Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, basically a a message of destruction, a message of judgment. And uh, Jonah uh, doesn't want to go, and he's disobedient to the call of God. And so Jonah gets on a ship at Joppa heading out for Tarshish. And as he heads out in disobedience to the Lord, God raises up a storm. The storm becomes so bad that the sailors who are experienced seamen, you know, they're crying out to, the, to their gods, the ones that they worship. And, and finally the captain goes down in the bottom of the ship and there's Jonah asleep in the bottom of the ship. And he's like, what are you doing? And anyways, long story short, it turns out they realize that Jonah is the reason why this storm has occurred. And so they... Uh, Jonah basically is the one that says, hey, you know, it's my fault, throw me over. And they try everything that they can to, to not throw Jonah over. And, uh, but, and, you know, finally they realize that there's nothing they can do. And so they throw Jonah, Jonah excuse me, overboard. And uh, Jonah sinks down into the water. And uh, from the scriptures, it almost it looks like he sank down to the bottom. Uh, how deep it was, where they were at, you know, nobody knows. But um, at one point, the Bible says God appointed a great fish. And this great fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. And uh, some people think, well, that's just a fairy tale. I mean, how could that really happen? Well, Jesus alludes to this, speaks about this as, a, as an historical actual event in the Gospels. Anyways, as Jonah is in the belly of this great fish, he cries out to the Lord. He's at, he, I mean, you can't get any lower than that, you know. He's, he's in the belly of a fish on the bottom of the ocean, you know. I mean, as dark and as, as far away, and, and he's, he's felt like he's gone as far as he can go. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how far you go, you're never beyond the reach of the Lord. And so he cries out to the Lord, and God hears his prayer. God extends mercy towards Jonah, and uh, Jonah is puked up on a beach, uh, probably right there at Nineveh, uh, from what we can tell in Scripture. And so that's kind of what happened. And so now we get to chapter 3, and beginning with verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So after Jonah repented of his sin, because, you know, he knew what he was supposed to do, and the Bible says if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And so Jonah was in disobedience. He was sinning against the Lord. He repented of his sin, cried out to God. And, you know, God is a God of new beginnings. I love that about the Lord. He gives us new opportunities to follow him. Now, the new beginning that God gave him, he basically gave him the original command to go back 
and go ahead and go to the Ninevites to preach against Nineveh. And, uh, and so in verse 2 there, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So basically, he's just now he's told, just go to Nineveh, I'm going to give you the message. Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, the first time God had commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, he, he did arise. He, he got up, but he actually went 180 degrees the opposite direction. Jonah, or excuse me, uh, Nineveh was in the east, and Jonah went the west. I mean, he just basically went the polar opposite direction uh, from God's command. So he did arise, but he arose to flee from the Lord. And the results of his disobedience recorded there in scriptures is that he went down to Joppa and then he found a ship heading to Tarshish he paid the fare and he went down into the boat and I think that's not a coincidence that God uses those prepositions of going down you see disobedience to the Lord always results in going down in our relationship with him it always does if you're knowingly in disobedience to the Lord this morning, I, you, know, you may think you're maintaining your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're just not growing. Well, the fact is, you're not growing. You're actually going down when you're in disobedience against Him. And so you're distancing yourself from the Lord, and your relationship with the Lord is in decline. That's just the way it is. But this time, Jonah immediately arose to obey the Lord. He gets up and, he, and, he, and he's going to follow and obey the Lord. And it says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Now, archaeologists have actually dug up the ancient city of Nineveh, the walls of Nineveh. It's located in, actually right next to Mosul, Iraq, where you know, all that stuff's going on right now with the, the battles that are going on over there. The city walls itself were about eight miles in circumference. And there was three other towns that were nearby, about in a 60-mile 60, 60 radius around uh, Nineveh. That's probably Nineveh, kind of the, 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 the municipality of Nineveh, so to speak. It's all, it included those cities about 60 miles in circumference. And last week we talked about the inhabitants, the population, and uh, it's quite possible I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to think to say that there was probably a million inhabitants there. I would say at least 600,000, if not more, based on what we read in chapter 4. And so it's a three days journey to go from one end to the other. And Jonah spent the next three days walking from one end of Nineveh to the other end, preaching the words that the Lord gave him. And the words were, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. You know, Jonah did not speak his opinions. He didn't like just kind of tell what he felt. He obeyed what the Lord told him. He said what the Lord told him to say. You know, he didn't water down the message, making it more palatable to his audience. I mean, look at the message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. He simply spoke what God told him to speak. And what was the results of that? The results were the people didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. The power in Jonah's message was not in his eloquence. 
It wasn't in his wit or his humor or his knowledge. The power in Jonah's message was the source of the message, and that's God's spirit. And Jonah was in complete obedience, just speaking the words of the Lord. You know, you think about it. If Jonah had preached a a watered-down, unoffensive, politically correct message to the Ninevites, this this verse that we just read probably would have been a little bit different. It probably would have said, and the people believed Jonah and invited him to speak at their social gatherings, and he was invited to speak on Oprah and all the late-night talk shows, but they remained unchanged because there's no power in a message that's not from the Lord. And so Jonah obeyed and spoke exactly what God told him to speak, and the people responded to the Lord. Now, picture this. Jonah had been in the belly of this large fish or serpent. We're really not told what what kind of mammal it was or animal it was, but the Bible says a great fish, whatever it was. And he was in there in this stomach of this fish for three days and three nights. And probably during that time, the stomach acids of this fish is probably starting to eat away at him. Uh, it probably burned all the hair off of his body, more than, most, most likely. Uh, it could very well have bleached his skin. And so, you know, three days in this, in this, in this caustic environment, this acidic environment of this uh, caustic, acidic, I guess two different things, but you know what I'm talking about. Corrosive, or maybe that's a better word. Um, now... We don't know that the Ninevites were surfers or sunbathers. Um, maybe they were fishermen. Who knows? But could you imagine sitting there on the beach in Nineveh? You know, it's a nice hot summer day, and all of a sudden you see this kind of this this something moving in the water, coming close to the shore, and you hear the the jaws music in the background. You know, da 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 da, and then all of a sudden, there's this guy, this this. Well, I don't know if he was clothed or not, but, you know, this bleached guy with no hair puked up on the beach in front of him. Can you imagine observing this? According to Dr. Henry Morris, the Institute of Creation Research, he said this, At the time of the revival, it seems that something very unusual about Jonah's preaching must have been involved. According to the later Babylonian historian Barossus, the early Assyrians had a legend of a fishman, Yanua, who had come out of the sea in ancient times and had taught them all the basics on which their civilization had been established. The name Jonah is pronounced Yonah in Hebrew, quite similar to Yanua. Yonah arrived from the great fish at a time when the Assyrian Empire was about to decline, and the Assyrians may have thought that Jonah was Yanua, returning to tell them what was wrong and how to reverse the trend. Isn't that interesting? Here they've got this legend long ago about this fish god or fish man named Yanua that comes up and teaches them, and then years later, here there's some guys fishing for, you know, right there on the beach, and, and there's... This guy named Jonah that's puked up on the beach from the fish, and he's starting to preach God's message to them. You know, if that's true, because we don't really know, but if that's true, wouldn't that be like God to use to use situations like that? Some legend from ancient centuries ago, and then generations later use it for his glory and getting people to repent. I mean, that's, to me, it's just that's how God operates. It's amazing how God does things. This would have been and probably was one of the world's greatest revivals, and it was a real revival because Jesus mentions it and refers to it as a historical effect in Matthew 12, verse 41. Now, as we'll read here, the Ninevites repented. 
Um, but about 150 years later, the descendants of all these Gentiles that were converted, they would become so wicked that God would eventually use the armies of the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Scythians to destroy the nation. And it's prophesied in Nahum chapter 3. So God actually gave them a, a break of about 150 years, but that the, gen- the descendants of these people that repented, they turned back to their wicked ways, and God finally did judge Nineveh. But you know what I think is very significant is that the greatest of all revivals basically started with the people from the greatest to the least. I always assumed that it was the king that, that was the one that repented, but no, it, it's the people that repented first. They responded, and then their leader responded. Look at verse 6. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So not only did the people from the greatest to the least repent, but the king also repented. And you look at how it describes how he repented. He got off his throne. I mean, you know, that's what kings do, right? They sit on their throne and they rule. You know, they bark out orders and people, you know, it, it's a very prideful thing. I'm sitting on my throne. Well, he got off his throne. He stepped down. He got off his royal throne, uh, took off his royal robe and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. What a, what a picture of humility. Now, sackcloth is a thick, coarse cloth, and it was normally made from goat's hair. And basically wearing it meant that you, it, was, it was symbolic. It was displaying that you were rejecting earthly comforts and pleasures. You, you, you were going to just, you know, you're just basically covering yourself. And it it's really was when people were mourning and grieving, they'd put on sackcloth and ashes. And so wearing it displayed the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasures. You know, one thing that repentance is not, it's not business as usual. That's what's happened. The king, you know, normally he would just be sitting on the throne ruling. It's, it, it's, something's changed. And something has to change when people repent. Something must be different when people repent. And uh, for the people and the king, they basically stopped what they were doing. They put aside their earthly comforts and they cried out mightily to God. And those are all aspects of repentance, humility, and crying out to God, stopping what you're doing. And, and it's not business as usual anymore. You need, you need to turn to the Lord, and that's what they did. And they turned from their wickedness, because there's got to be a change when we, you and I repent. The king not only pro, uh, repented and proclaimed a national fast, but get this, he also commanded that the animals fast and be covered in sackcloth and ashes. Now, we look at that and we probably think, you know, how ignorant was the king? You know, they, maybe, he's, maybe they believed in reincarnation or they believed that animals, you know, had souls or something. And you and I, we look at that and we go, well, that's silly because we know that animals don't have souls, of course. They're not, they're not sinners. They don't have to repent of anything. But, you know, the king might have been ignorant about the animal kingdom as far as whether they have souls or not. But you know what it does reflect? 
it reflects his understanding of repentance because his repentance was total. There was nothing held back. Everything's going to repent. Everyone, every place, everywhere. Repentance was total. It wasn't half-hearted. And that's what repentance needs to be. In verse 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God saw their heart and the actions that they did, and that it reflected true repentance, and God relented of his judgment against them. Now, if you're like a Bible student and stuff, you know, or you, you study the Bible, it's like, wait a minute, God changed his mind? God relented? I mean, he changed his mind. Did, did, is God like a man? You know, is he fickle? Listen to these verses. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God's not like a man. He doesn't change his mind. Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you, not, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And yet here, it says that God basically changed his mind. He relented of the judgment. Now, you know, we could delve into a a very deep philosophical discussion on this topic. We could go off and and, and spend all the rest of this morning talking about, you know, uh, does God change his mind and what what, what are we talking about here? And uh, I, I don't feel like doing that this morning. But you know what I did do as part of my studying? I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I thought, you know, I'm going to look up all the times in the Bible that it says that either God relented or the Lord relented. Because there's two different, usually there's two different verses. It either says God relented of something or the Lord relented of something. You know what I discovered? That phrase occurs nine times in the Bible. That's it, nine times. But you know what's interesting? Every single time that it occurs, the context is the Lord relenting of his judgment against someone. I think that's what a comfort that is. Praise God that he changes his mind, if that's the case. That he relents in executing his judgment. He relents in mercy towards you and I, never the other way around. Can you imagine if it was the other way around? It's like, you know, you, 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 you've, you've invited the Lord Jesus Christ. You've repented of your sins. You invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. You, the Bible says, that, you know, we repent of our sins. We're forgiven. We're washed clean. You've, you've got that assurance of your salvation, that hope of heaven. And then all of a sudden God says, ah, I changed my mind. I'm mad at you, man. You're going to hell. Can you imagine? But God doesn't do that. Praise God that he relents the other way in mercy towards people. Well... Here, Jonah, God's prophet, you know what prophets were to do? They were to speak God's word, right? God's word was to, how many of these prophets, almost every single one of these prophets, their message was to go to God's people or to go to other nations or preach against other nations to repent of their sin. You know, if Jeremiah, excuse me, yeah, Jeremiah, I mean, he's one prophet who God had told him to, you know, prophesy to the nation of Israel about their coming judgment. Uh, And you know what? They didn't repent. In human terms, you would look at his ministry and go, you know what? He was a failure. I mean, his ministry wasn't successful. He didn't have a single person respond to his message. 
in faith. Nobody did. Well, Jonah, everybody responded to his message. You think that Jonah would be the happiest prophet of God in the Bible? You think that that was the end of the story? You know, Jonah, Jonah repented of his sins. Uh, you know, and God forgave him, and now God gives him a chance to tell the Ninevites to repent of their sin, and they do. And look what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. This seems so contrary, like I said, to the heart of God's prophets. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. You know, this guy's preaching over and over and over again to repent. They, they're, they're throwing him in a well. They're, they're abusing him. They're mocking him. They're treating him terrible. And, and he's the weeping prophet, weeping over God's people. No converts. And yet, in the Bible, Jesus says in Luke 15.10, Likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels over God. Excuse me. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One person that completely repents of their sin, man, heaven has a party. They're, they're rejoicing over one person who repents. You'd think that this would be the most joyful day. It probably was in heaven, but evidently it wasn't with Jonah. Jonah was angry. And what strikes me even more is the fact that Jonah himself had just days before experienced God's mercy towards himself. He cried out in mercy not three days before, and God forgave him. God extended mercy to him. God relented of his judgment against Jonah and and forgave Jonah and gave Jonah a new start. And yet, here three days later, Jonah's angry because the Ninevites repented. Why was he angry? Well, he was angry because God spared Nineveh. Now, they don't tell us why he was angry that God spared Nineveh. And it's interesting. If you go to the commentators, they'll fill in the blanks. They try to fill in the blanks anyways. One of the, re- one of the things people say was nationalistic pride. Um, you know, Jonah and Hosea, Hosea was another prophet. They were contemporaries of each other. In other words, they lived around the same time frame. And Hosea had prophesied that Israel, in Hosea 9 verse 3, that Israel would eat unclean things in Assyria. And what that's referring to is that Israel would go into captivity in Israel, or in, excuse me, in Assyria, which Ninevites were Assyrians. And so, you know, as a nationalistic Jew, you know, why would God forgive Israel's enemies? So it could have been a nationalistic thing that that uh, uh, Jonah was. Why Jonah was upset? Still, others say, well, it was his concern for Israel because if God spared the very wicked Ninevites, would that mercy? be taken of advantage by his people. Would they go, well, look at God spared those wicked people. You know, we're, we don't have to change because God's, you know, that he was concerned that, uh, that that's why they didn't, re, or that's why they repented and that's why he was angry. And, you know, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us why. A lot of people like to fill in the blanks, but the Bible telling us doesn't tell us why. And I think the reason why the Bible tell, doesn't tell us why is because that's immaterial. I think it's the attitude of his heart that God wants to direct our attention to. Why was he angry? Look at in verse 2. You know, Jonah's angry, and he says, he says here, he prays to the Lord. Verse 2, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? 
Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, what an attitude, huh? What an attitude. He who understands that God is a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in in loving kindness, who he himself experienced that, he's angry because God extended that to somebody else. Because they didn't deserve it in his mind. And the Lord says something very important here in verse 4. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? You know, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is going through uh, the villages of Samaria, and they're looking for a place to stay. And uh, his disciples are with them. And in Luke 9, verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And they went another way. You know, here there, Jonah's angry, and he's probably justifying his anger, but that anger was, it was demonic anger. James 1.19, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, one of the fascinating things to me is that Jonah's angry with God. God has every right to just squish Jonah, right? Because, I mean, after all, what an ungrateful servant. He had just been forgiven himself, and now he's angry that God is willing to forgive someone else. And God could have just squashed him, you know, and said, oh, now, now I'm going to get back in the ocean, you know. I'm going to find that fish to go get you again. Um, but he doesn't. God extends mercy to Jonah, and he just whispers in his ear, is it right for you to be angry? And I think it's such an important thing because, you know, I see people, Christians included, who are walking around in anger. They're angry. Maybe they're angry at God or they're just angry, plain old simply angry. They're angry about a situation God has allowed them to be in. Maybe they're angry at a spouse or maybe they're angry at their parent or they're angry at their child or, or they've got this, this distant relationship from a brother or sister or something and they're angry and they're just walking around in anger and God whispers gently in each one of our ears, is it right for you to be angry? Well, Jonah thought so. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made for himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Now remember Jonah's message. Yet 40 days and God would overthrow Nineveh. So it makes you wonder if Jonah's like, you know what, I'm going to wait a month and 10 days. I'm going to sit up here on this mountain. I'm going to wait and see if God's actually going to destroy them. And he's hoping that God will destroy Nineveh. I don't know if he stayed up there 40 days or not. But... uh, 
Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. That word prepared shows up several times in the book of Jonah. It means appointed. God appointed a plant to grow and provide shade for Jonah to get this, to deliver him from his misery. What a gracious God. Of course, you and I know that Jonah has no right to be angry. And like I said, God could have squashed Jonah. He could have responded in righteous anger towards Jonah. And instead, he whispers in Jonah's ears, is it right for you to be angry? And then he appoints a plant to shade Jonah, to deliver him from his misery. You see, Jonah was angry, and he was miserable because he was angry. And if you've ever been around an angry person, they're miserable to be around. It's just, there's, there's no joy. They're just, they're just angry all the time. And it's amazing that God appoints this plant to miraculously, because I think it was a miracle, to grow overnight to provide shade for Jonah. And it says Jonah was very grateful for the plant. You see, did Jonah deserve the blessing of the shade plant? Absolutely not. He's angry. He's, he's really disobeying the Lord. He's got an evil, wicked heart at this point, angry, wanting God to destroy the Ninevites. He's selfishly angry. But you see, God blesses him anyways. And you know, that's an important thing to remember. God's blessings are never given because we've earned them. Maybe you're in a time of blessing right now. The Lord's just been blessing you financially or blessing you with just a great relationships and your or great job or just you just like things are really going good in your in your life. And maybe it's like last year was just a terrible year. You go like, man, I really I paid my dues last year. I really deserve this bless. Man, God's blessing me, man. I I I've earned it. You know what the fact is? <laughs> you haven't earned it. Just the fact that God's blessing has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God's grace. It has everything to do with God's more mercy. And so Jonah here, he's got this shade plant. Man, it feels good, you know, because it's hot there in the desert. And, uh, and he's, he's grateful for the plant. I mean, maybe he's thanking the Lord for the plant. Verse 7, But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. Here again, that word appointed, prepared. Uh, miraculously appeared, uh, appointed this worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. So God caused the plant to come up overnight, and it provided shade for Jonah through the heat of that day. So, so you know, he wakes up in the morning. There's this nice plant, you know, it, like I grew up in California. And in California, when you're working, you try to get all your outdoor done work done early in the morning because it's kind of cool in the morning. And uh, by about 10 o'clock, you know, the overcast usually burns off, and it gets, in the summertime anyways, it gets hotter than the Dickens. Then you don't want to be working outside. Then you want to be sitting inside relaxing or, you know, getting somewhere in the shade or whatever. And so here Jonah, he wakes up in the morning. It's going to be a hot day, you know, there in Iraq. And, uh, and he gets up. And uh, there's this plant, and it provides shade. And man, it's like, oh, that's so refreshing. Thanks for blessing me, Lord God, you know. But that night, God appoints a worm to eat that plant. And so for one day, Jonah's blessed with his shade. He gets up the next morning, and the plant's withered, you know. It's no longer providing shade for him. He's once more exposed to the heat of the day. And then, to make matters worse, look at verse 8. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement 
vehement, vehement, whatever, a strong east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, it's better for me to live, excuse me, it's better for me to die than to live. You know, all these times that God appointed something, God had miraculously appointed a storm to rise up on the sea when Jonah was in disobedience. That was a miracle. God miraculously appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. God miraculously appointed a plant to provide shade for Jonah as he's laying there waiting to see the destruction of Nineveh. God then miraculously appoints a worm to destroy the plant. And now God miraculously appoints a strong east wind to make, you know, to make the temperatures really start to cook. You know, we're reading the book of Jonah and we have the perspective of history. We, we've, we've seen the whole story laid out before us. We see that God is actively working his will in Jonah's life, right? God was getting Jonah to the point where he would go to Nineveh by having him swallowed by that fish and then you know going through that and repenting and getting puked up on the land and giving him another chance. God was using these things in Jonah's life to, to, to cause Jonah to do something according to his will. He was actively working in Jonah's life. And he was actively working through pleasant and also not so pleasant circumstances, but they were all designed to bring Jonah to a certain place in his life. And that was to accomplish his will. And God's will was good for Jonah. You know, we as Christians, we sometimes like to cling to this verse, and I think it's a great verse to cling to. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Man, I like to, I like to claim that verse quite frequently. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm going to just rhetorically ask this. Have any of you ever tried to eat a stick of butter by yourself? You know, just by itself. Just, you know, you buy those cubes and just like, mm, try to eat that. Yeah, you know, it's just, that just sounds disgusting, right? My granddaughter would say, that's disgusting. <laughs> or how about trying to eat like a tablespoon of salt? Yeah. How about a teaspoon of baking soda? I, I remember trying baking soda once and baking powder. I think I've done that too. Thinking, well, this is, you know, just as a kid, you're just curious. I wonder what it tastes like. Oh, man, you know, your mouth, your tongue just kind of shrivels. How about a raw egg? Hmm, would be good, right? Cup of flour? Not very good. I mean, you, you take each one of these ingredients, you eat them by themselves. Now, a cup of brown sugar. I could probably down a cup of brown sugar. I'd probably puke after it, but I probably could, you know. I mean, it's sweet, you know. It's, it, it's good, you know. You look at those things that I just mentioned. The majority of them, you would say, oh, man, I wouldn't eat those things. Those, are, those yeah, taste bad. And yet, when you mix them all together, you bake them in an oven, you know what you get? Cookies, man. Good cookies. And I don't know if that's a writing stick of butter. is probably maybe a little too much for cookies. I, I tend to overdo it with stuff like that. But, but, you know, you mix all these things together and you have something good that comes out of it. But individually, man, they're bad. God provided something good for Jonah that one day. It was something sweet. It was that shade plant, man. That was good. That was, that was man, thank you, Lord God. But then also Jonah appointed that strong east wind. Jonah appointed that worm. Jonah appointed that storm. Or excuse me, God appointed those things. Those things were not so enjoyable, but God provided them or appointed them to develop Jonah's character. 
And Jonah is angry because God spared Nineveh, and he's miserable because of his anger. And now he's even more angry and more miserable because this poor plant that provided him shade is now dead. And now once more the Lord God speaks to Jonah. Verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. Verse 10, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? The Lord God was trying to give Jonah a picture here. Look at Jonah. Look at this plant. It's basically, you didn't do anything to make it grow. You didn't labor over it. You didn't toil and plant it and water it. It just, it just, it just came up like that. But, the, but Nineveh, that was an ancient city. That was built back in the days of Nimrod, back in the early, the start of Babylon, basically. And all through those years, God had been working and, and God had been involved in the people of Nineveh. Even though they were Gentiles, God was still involved in their lives and God was still trying to accomplish his will through them. God was, God was caring for them. So it was an old city. God had caused it to grow. God had allowed Nineveh to, to grow up and the Assyrians to become a world empire at, at, at one point in their history. That plant basically sprung up overnight and died overnight. Basically, one day it was alive. And yet Nineveh was an old established city and it had more than 120,000 persons, listen, who are below the age of discerning right from wrong who don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, there's 120,000 infants and toddlers that don't, they don't know right or wrong. You know, yeah, Jonah, you know, you look at those wicked adults and the Assyrians, man, they were cruel people. They were very wicked people. They didn't spare any mercy. They, the, when, they, when they would go and they would, they would cut off noses of their enemies. They would, they would, they would put hooks in them and, and like fish and they would take them in chains and, and drag them down to, to Nineveh. They, they were so cruel and, and, and they were like the ISIS terrorists of their day. I mean, that's how cruel they were. They were, they were wicked adults. They knew right from wrong. They deserved judgment. But what about all those innocent children, Jonah? What about all those innocent ones? Jonah, where's your heart? Not only that, but even the animals, which are innocent. You know, the story ends here. The story here in Jonah, it ends with God asking Jonah a question. We never know what the answer is. We don't know what Jonah responds. That's just the, that's the, this is the end of the book here. But think about this. This book was written by Jonah himself. He's the author of this book. You know, when he was in the midst of the storm or the midst, he was in the belly of the fish or the city on, on top of the hill, you know, he's miserable in his anger. At that point, you know, his vision is limited. All he can think about is what he's experiencing right now. And how many times is that for you and I? We're, we're in a season, maybe you're in a season of blessing, you think you deserve it, and then all of a sudden something happens, you're like, I didn't deserve this, why is this going on? And, and you know, we get, our vision can get so limited, we go, why, and our focus is on why is things so bad right now? We don't realize that God's been working in our lives all along. Yeah, he's, he blesses us with stuff, but he also allows us some discomfort sometimes. Why? Because he's trying to develop character in each one of us. 
And instead, how often do we get angry? We don't deserve this. We're angry. We become miserable because we're angry. God was preparing Jonah's heart and character to reflect him. And I look at Jonah, I go, you know what? Jonah wrote this. He wrote the book. So he, now he sees the whole thing. And I, I'm, I imagine as he's re- writing these things, he goes, man, what was I thinking? I was so upset that time. You know, again, we don't know. We don't know how Jonah responded. But I, I have to think that Jonah, God impacted Jonah that he wasn't an angry person anymore. He got the message. He understood what God was trying to do in his lives. You know, it's in same with our lives. God comforts us one day. We might be through a season of, of just blessing or comfort. And then God takes away that comfort just the next day. It's like it's, it's, it was there and now it's gone, you know. I've been comforted for three years with a job and last week I found out it's gone. It's like, oh God, you took the shade thing. Where's the shade? I'm, I'm, I'm under the heat of the financial sun, so to speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why did God do it? I didn't deserve that. Well, you know what? God is trying to develop some character in my life and my wife's life, and he's trying to develop character in each one of us when he does those things. God's not out to destroy us. He, doesn't, he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. And, and you know, yeah, he, he might take away your comfort one day, he might give you something difficult to go through. And I know that there are people in our fellowship that are going through difficult things. And I would encourage you right now, instead of being angry, just think of the words of the Lord. Do you have a right to be angry? The bottom line is none of us have a right to be angry. None of us have a right to be miserable. Because everything that we've got is a blessing from God that none of us deserve. It's all blessings from the Lord. And so, like the psalmist, you know, you and I just say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So, why don't you stand up? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the message of Jonah. Father, I think if we would be truthful, we all can identify. Lord, there are times when we've experienced things that are not pleasant and we've been angry. Lord, maybe we've even been angry that someone's been blessed and we haven't been, and or we think that they don't deserve the blessings, and so we can become jealous of them because it seems like they're, they're getting all the breaks in life and we're not. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would heed the words of your Spirit that we don't have a right to be angry. Father, I pray that we would never assign evil to you, Lord God, because even when things happen difficult, difficult things happen in our life, it's not because you were evil. Lord, it's because you love us and you, you're, working, you're working all things together for a good, for your purpose, Lord. And those things, we take them individually by themselves, Lord. There's things that happen in our lives that are not pleasant. We, we, we acknowledge that. But, Lord, when we take all of those things together, the good and the bad, Lord, we know that you're doing a work in our lives. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person, especially those here, Lord, this morning that might be angry. Maybe there's something that's just been in their in their lives that they're just they just they're angry about it. They're miserable because of it, Lord, and and maybe they're even assigning you the blame for it. Why are you why have you allowed me to go through this, God? Why are you keeping me in this? Father, I pray, Lord God, that we would just surrender to you. Lord, that we would allow you to accomplish those those things that you want to do, Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, that we would know that you love us and you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us, even in the difficulties. 
And so, Lord, I just thank you for that reminder in the book of Jonah. Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every person now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.